You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. Welcome to 21st Century Radio. I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. Laura Kortner is our executive producer, and A.Y. Warshaw runs our board. 1111, we've heard a lot about it, but you probably don't know there's a magazine by that title. 1111 is a magazine devoted to the journey of the soul. Its founder, Simran Singh, or Simi, believes that people can create a life that is meaningful and fulfilling. She offers tips in her magazine, radio programs, CDs, books, and online TV, and her focus is personal empowerment. Simi states that her work is to unite people, information, minds, and hearts towards more conscious choices, authentic living, and inspired being. Or as she puts it so beautifully, quote, the divine in me honors the divine in you. Let us unite and become one, unquote. So joining us for a discussion of spiritual and physical well-being in today's world and what it might have to do with November 11th is our 21st century radio guest, Simi Singh. Simi, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thank you, Dr. Zahar. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. Why don't you begin by telling us why you chose to name your magazine, which is devoted to the journey of the soul, 1111? In a sense, the magazine chose its own name and chose me to be the wonderful steward of it. So I'm really honored to be able to bring that forward. So many people right now are experiencing a lot of challenges in life, whether they are financial or relationship or just different experiences going on in their world that that seem to really challenge them and be uncomfortable. And many people understand what the dark night of the soul experience is and perhaps have gone through it several times over. And that's one of the things that occurred with me, a series of uncomfortable events. And in that period, the 1111 symbolism showed up repeatedly. And in that repeating number system, I just started thinking this is way more than a coincidence. It's got to be synchronicity. There must be something else going on. And at one point, I was seeing it up to 20 times a day. And at that point, I just finally said, either tell me what you want with this or make it stop. And in that instance, a complete first issue of 1111 Magazine downloaded into my head. I was given the Sacred Geometry logo, what it signified, what it meant, why it was here right now in particular and coming through me, and what was necessary right now for the people of the planet to really be able to move forward in a direction where we not only create a better reality for ourselves, but also support humanity in evolving in a direction that we'd like to go rather than in one of de-evolution. In sacred geometry, of course, 11 is what we call a master path number, as you know, And two 11s would make it 22, which is a higher octave of that master path accomplishment. And and probably, I mean, you know, what attracted me, firstly, I know your father and his beautiful work in comparative religion, and he told me about you because I mentioned to him, I don't remember exactly how it came up, but 1111 came up. And for a couple of years, I, like many other people, when I would look at the clock, I would happen to glance at it when it was 1111. And so like you and like myself and many, I mean, this phenomena is global. What does the 1111 signify for you? Because, you know, there's a lot of prophecy about the changes we're in and the ones we're going to be coming more aware of. Yes, yes, absolutely. The 
significance of 1111, and it is seen by millions of people all over the world. It has been seen uh, for decades. And the significance of this is that this is actually a gateway. That's what the, the 1111 sign that you see on a clock looks like. It's a gateway between the human and the spiritual, between the negative and the positive, between settling for who we have been and thinking that's all we deserve and truly stepping into the divine essence and power of who we are here to become. And that's the journey that each one of us are on. We are on the journey of becoming. It's not that we don't know. We have this pre-encoded trigger embedded within us, this 1111. It's part of our DNA. It is part of our cellular memory structure so that when we see it, all of a sudden it does catch our eye because it is triggering something within us that is a knowing. And it's asking us to say yes and to go on that journey and allow ourselves to unfold and expand and experience because that's the one true purpose that we each have. We are here to experience ourselves in the expansiveness that we are. But so many people cling to the fear of stepping forward and that's another part of what the 11 signifies. It's trying to say, don't buy into the negativity. Allow yourself to see the perspective that is more positive. Because as people move into that 2012, whatever is in the negativity is going to be amplified. Mm -hmm. Whatever is in the positive sense, that you also amplify and you actually increase in its speed. And so it's very important right now for people to recognize what they're believing, what they're thinking, what their actions are, because they're going to be creating their reality based on those three things, the thoughts, the feelings, and the actions that they're putting forward. When we have we have covered sort of the whole new paradigm of consciousness for 25-some years on radio, and it's been so interesting to watch what began with transpersonal psychology and very interesting awarenesses that consciousness was not local to going into the physics labs and really seeing this interface between science and spirit. So when you described at the very beginning of the program that you went through a period in your life that was not easy and that this grew out of it. Can you share with our audience, as you do with many of the people you work with, how to approach a challenging time period? I mean, you teach meditation. You teach a lot of different skills. What are some basic things that a person can do when they feel themselves? Like, for instance, I don't watch the news much anymore. I just don't because I don't think it's a reflection of reality. I think it's a particular kind of hyper fear reality that keeps your attention because of the adrenal response. But having said that, what what are the kinds of things that pull a person down and what can they do when they feel themselves sort of like going down that tunnel? Well, first of all, people have to understand why they're creating that in their life. And the simple fact is that everything that's going on in the world right now, it is being created because of the collective consciousness. And the dysfunction that shows up in our life is being created to help us break open some of the belief systems that we've been carrying so we can step away from those. So as we start to experience something, whether it's money troubles or whether it's relationship issues or whether it's just complete chaos in your life or some sort of addiction experience that you can't seem to get out of, the first thing to understand is that that is showing up to tell you something, to be a message, to allow you to open up to perhaps something different. And in that moment, rather than looking at it as something tragic, allow yourself to become more aware because those are the moments that actually bring us closer to home, home within ourselves, 
home in, in a sense of who is our creator, how did we get here, why are we here. It brings us to those questions that make us more introspective. And when we get to that place, then all of a sudden we are starting to wait for answers. We're starting to surrender. In my particular situation, I had come to a point where everything in my life had literally fallen apart. I didn't have an identity anymore. anymore. People in my life that I thought were close to me were no longer there any longer. And it seemed as if I was utterly alone and was losing things one by one in my life. Things, people, it just was a complete breakdown of everything that I knew my life to be. And in that moment, I ended up in a deep depression. And sometimes that's the first place that we have to go. So many people don't want to feel their feelings. They don't want to feel the angst or the anger or the sadness or what they're going through. Yeah, and, and I'd I'm, like to add on that point. I think something our culture doesn't make us comfortable with, but it's really the, a beautiful part of our journey, which is not knowing. Well, know. and it's it's judged as such a bad thing to mm-hmm. have all of have any negative emotion or even experience anything like depression. And honestly, the healing comes from diving into it, not from trying to run from it. And I allowed myself to actually succumb to it because I had gone through enough teachings and enough study that I recognized I can't run from this. These things that have occurred in my life have continually occurred as reincarnations of past experiences from childhood or past woundings with other people. I have just recreated the same thing with different people, different places, different time. So it's time now to sit in that emotion and see what bubbles up from that. And when we do that, we allow ourselves to open to something deeper. It brings up other memories. We clear things. We start to make different choices. And we start to decide what we really want out of life. And it truly is the impetus for change. And that's also why so much is going on in the world right now, Dr. Zahara, is because we don't change or move until we're uncomfortable. And sometimes we have to get to the point where things feel completely chaotic or breaking down or painful for that change to happen. But that is the gift. That is where the nugget of gold rests for most cases, and that's where new innovation comes. That's where people come together in community. It's not comfortable, but it is actually a birthing that is coming out of that dying. Well, I think that's very true, and I and from all of the wisdom traditions and all of the different wonderful people we've brought on over the air, it's very clear that the indigenous peoples have spoken of this time period, and I'm a student of Kabbalah and the Hasidic tradition, and very much they speak of this as sort of like the birthing of the messianic consciousness, the consciousness of unity, of oneness. And you you speak to that. And I think there's a beautiful teaching also about the difference between concealed good and revealed good. And you just described it because, at least in the Hasidic tradition, the way we're taught is that when our life is going along happy, merry, and everything's wonderful, that's revealed good. It's really apparent. We feel great. When we're suffering, we have injury, God forbid, we have a loss of somebody we love or the loss of a job, there is actually concealed good. And actually, the the good that is in the concealed good, the good that is hidden in the suffering is a much greater good, and from it so much more comes. And that's really what you've just described. Well, and we're so much larger than we allow ourselves to be. You know, most people or many people walk around and they're searching for this life purpose that they're supposed to have. Where am I going to find out what my true purpose and destiny is? 
But until we allow ourselves to truly feel and recognize what we need for ourselves, how to heal ourselves, how to find the wounded places, we can't find what births that passion. You know, we want to have compassion for people in the world. We want to have compassion for the things that go on around us, the destruction, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the tsunamis, the the massacres, the genocide, all of the things that are taking place. But it's a surface compassion until we recognize how we do those things to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Each one of us are violent to ourselves in some way, whether it's the way we speak to ourselves or treat ourselves or look at ourselves. And when we can switch that and, and learn to love the self more, only then can we truly send that outward and have compassion. I also like to say that compassion is a two-word uh, word, and that is C-O-M-E, passion. Come passion to me, rebirth within me, bring my life back to me so that I understand why I'm here and how I can share that loving essence that I am that came from that source of creation and reunite with the rest of the pieces of creation that are waiting to unite with me as well. When you look at some of the descriptions in quantum physics and in holographic universe kind of discussions, um, it's very clear from a physics point of view, and there's now some pretty ex interesting experiments at the Fermilab looking at, are we actually a holographic universe? Meaning um, it's, it's not the flat society, but that everything any one of us thinks affects the entire world, and that everything that one of us feels affects everybody else. I mean, I, I believe this and I experience this, but I don't think that the general community on the planet, unless they have a particular spiritual path, would think that's possible because you find even in your households or in your families or in your communities that you wonder sometimes how people do what they do to each other. So talk to us a little bit about that, because I, I know for everybody who watches the news, who sees what goes on, or who is just sort of aware to, as you point out, their own heart, how, what is that journey, that inner journey you describe? I mean, it's it's not as simple as just observing. It, it requires that you really take action. It does require taking action, and I'll, I'll go into that in a little bit of a second. I want to say it is easy. We make it too hard. It's actually very simple, and that's what I've discovered in my own journey of healing, is if I just step back and recognize that every single thing that shows up around me is a mirror, whether it is a rude grocery store clerk checking me out at the grocery store, or whether it is a child running up to me and being loving, or whether it is seeing a horrific crime on television, or experiencing someone saying something to me, uh, or, or doing something to me, Every one of those things is a mirror. And in that moment, rather than reacting to it, rather than the ego running away and, and making up its own story about what this is all about, if an individual just steps back and says, wow, this is a mirror here to show me something. And the very first most important question is, where is that in me? Where do I do that to myself? Where do I do that to other people? And in that moment, take the action to clear yourself of that behavior so that that erases itself from your world. And what I can tell you is when you do that sort of healing, you stop 
attracting those kinds of people and experiences. It just automatically happens. It is the mirror. And we have many languages that are spoken to us from the universe in terms of people, animal totems, numbers, experiences in our homes, in our cars. All of those things are showing up as symbolism to be meaning for us, to tell us about ourselves. We have gotten to outer focus, thinking that everything is on the outside. Mm -hmm. In fact, the only one in the room is you and your source, whether you call that God, universe, or whatever. The only thing in the room is you and God. And every single other person on this planet has shown up here to help play your story so that you can learn the lessons you chose to learn before coming here. Yeah, one big theater, all right. <laughs> so. oh, it's an amazing theater. And when you can look at life in that way, then all of a sudden it is funny. And all of a sudden you can start to look at things that are seemingly tragic and start to say, okay, where can I fix that in myself? And now when I've fixed that in me, what can I do to support humanity? What can I do to now help my community? And that's where the purpose births and allows people who are ready to take that vision or that dream or that thought that's been in their gut for years and step forward and put it into action. We're going to take a little break, Simi, and then we'll be right back. If you'd like to follow up some more on your own during our little commercial break, go to www.1111magmag.com. This is Dr. Elliot Maynard. I'm author of the new book called Brave New Mind, Living in a Future Science World. And this book essentially outlines a new operating system for humans and planet Earth to move into the future. This book is available at our website, our foundation website, at arcocielos, A-R-C-O-S-C-I-E-L-O-S dot com. So thank you very much, Dr. Zoe, for this wonderful interview on 21st Century Radio. We are back on 21st Century Radio. I'm your host, Zoe Hieronymus. We return now to our guest. One of the things I noticed, Simi, on your website, firstly, you, you do a lot. You also have a TV show and you write books and sell CDs. Is a, is a particular process you describe as intention and action mapping. Can we talk about that for a moment? Absolutely. Uh, everything that we endeavor to have in life, we have to do it first with a particular focus. There has to be a path that we create to it. We were created in the image of our creator. And to me, what that means is that we are creation begging to have creation. That, to me, is what our creator is. It's creation happening in us and through us. And so if we are wanting to have a particular outcome in our life, and it can be a material outcome, it can be a spiritual outcome, it could be anything, if we are wanting a particular outcome, we have to lay out the ingredients of creation for that to manifest. And first of all, we have to get clear. We have to get clear on what that intention is. And we have to support that intention with an appropriate wording, an appropriate energy, can, can an appropriate... We, can we do a sample for our audience? I mean, you and I are familiar with this process and these methods and have used them and practiced them, but not everybody in our listening audience does this or they may do it and not know they're doing it so let's let's just do a, a can we do a an imaginary person situation absolutely all we right. sure can all right so let's say an individual in our listening audience has lost a job and they're in their 50s finding one is not as easy perhaps if they were a little younger so 
describe for us how you would approach this individual who says, you know, I used to work at so-and-so and I lost my job and I don't know now what I should do. Well, I'll actually, Dr. Zahar, I'll actually give you a real-life scenario. Okay. I'll give you an individual that I worked with that we actually took them through this entire situation. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, this was a gentleman who had worked 12 to 14 hours a day for a computer company, and he was commuting to work. He was commuting about 40 minutes a day each way back and forth. He had a very difficult boss. He didn't really like where he worked, and because of that, he didn't like his job anymore. Even though he had a passion for his career, he no longer liked his job. It took him away from his kids. It took him away from his wife, and he felt like he was working all of the time. There was automatically this negative feeling within him when he thought about this job. And as we began working together, the first step was to create the vision for what is it that you really want in your life in terms of a job. And I tell people, you don't have to believe that it's possible 100%. You just need to believe 51% that it's possible. And this young man decided, you know, if I had it the way I really, really wanted it, because that's the way I believe you should approach things, mm-hmm. is how do you really want it? I like he your said, approach. I'm, <laughs> I am definitely going to really, really want what I really, really want. <laughs> Absolutely. We have to know what we want and really go for that. And his version of what a great life would look like would be that he would have freedom in his workplace to work at the pace that he wanted and to have the creative control that he desired. He would have flexibility of time. He would actually be able to work from home or be close enough to home that he could see his kids and his wife and not be working so many hours or commuting. And he wanted to make at least Uh, 25% more than he was making, but ideally he said I'd like to double his income. Now, a lot of people say, well, you're, you're, you're harping on dreams and I can make up all kinds of stuff, but like I said, it's got to be 51% believable. So if you're putting something out there and you don't even believe it that much, it's not even going to be possible to create that in this moment. But if you've got that 51% belief system, then you've already got the energy in motion. The next step was then for me to find out from him what is missing from your life. What is it that you're not doing that you do love to do? Because I hear all of this stuff that you don't like to do. I hear all about what's not going right because of your job and everything else. What do you like to do? So the young man told me, well, you know, I used to play in a band and I love music and I can't do that anymore with kids. I gave that up four years ago. And so I had him put a list of things that he'd like to do down on a sheet of paper that would be his passion, that would really help him feel good about himself and good about life. And he put a list of ten things down, and I told him to pick three or four of those, and he was to begin doing those things immediately that next week. And he was to consistently do those things on a weekly basis until I told him to stop, minimum of three months. So that's what he started to work into his life. Three weeks later, he called me in a panic, and he said, I've just lost my job. He said, I don't have any income. They've just downsized, and they've laid me off, and what am I going to do now? And I said, well, you're going to go celebrate because this is what you wanted. You didn't want that position in the first place. So why are you now trying to hang on to it? And, Dr. Zahara, that's one thing I'd like people to recognize is they want to moan and complain about where they are but they don't realize that's not what they want. So why are they hanging on to it? Well, as, as, you know, as I say, people are, it's, it's easier to hang on to an old complaint 
than a new wonder. You know, it's like, oh, I'm, it's like an old sweater. Well, I'm familiar with this whining and moaning. This I can do pretty easily. It is, but if your drawer is packed with old sweaters that don't fit anymore and you go buy a new one, you have no place to put it. You have to clear the space, and that's what we have to do in our life. We have to clear the space for other things to come in. So I said, I said, well, can you? do you have anything saved? Is there anything you can do? I know your wife also works, and he said, no, I can probably make it for about three months without working and my wife is working so if we cut back a little bit we could be okay for a little while and I said well if that's the case then what I'd like for you to do is don't worry about the job I said I want you to focus daily on what the vision of your job is and I'm going to send you some intention statements to say every single day and the only other thing I want you to do is have fun and do the things that you love and so that is what he did for the next 30 days And on that 31st day, he called me, and he said, you are not going to believe what happened. And I said, what? He said, this one company that I had sent a resume to three years ago called me out of the blue. They're in California. I'm in South Carolina. They don't want me to move out there and work. They actually want me to set up an office in my home. They want me to set my own schedule. They'd like to give me creative control, and they'd like me to start setting up and managing a department that they don't have currently in their company. And to do this, they want me to fly out there a couple of times a year, and they want to double my salary from what I was making before. Well, there you are. And so there were some components of that. First, he had to let go of the past. Yes. Then he spent his time, some of his time, for a couple of weeks. He changed his energetic pattern by actually doing things he loved. So there's joy and enthusiasm, which is sort of like I have my own thing on that, which is really, I I mean, I agree with everything you've said so far in terms of the actual methodology of bringing into one's life those things one hopes to manifest. And, and, And so after that, then it was sort of like, not what he, he would have necessarily thought could happen, but things happened that fulfilled all of his wishes. Absolutely. Now, there's one piece, and it is an action piece that I didn't talk about, and that is really digging on the inside for any of the blocks and any of the beliefs that would come up that would block anything that he wanted. And that would be in terms of fears about money, fears about Uh, What if I never get a job? What if I end up homeless? All of those things that Mm -hmm. start to run through our monkey mind Mm -hmm. that would then block the energetic flow of something to us or allow something to come to us but only be a temporary fix and not a permanent. And that's where that inner work is so important. And that's really the work that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Tell people they've got to do the inner work. Mm -hmm. And I I think, unfortunately, we're not given a lot of tools unless you do study a particular path and and it has a, a traditional way of handling sort of the inner landscape. Um, it's not easy, I don't think, if if you don't have some form of spiritual practice. I agree totally. And I think a lot of people look at it as, I don't want to go there. I don't want to mm-hmm. feel that stuff. I don't want to look at that stuff. Or I've forgiven already. And the thing is, that is a beautiful landscape to visit if you allow yourself. From the outside perspective, it looks like this place that might be dark and dying. But when you actually step in there and you start to see the people that you needed to interact with and go back and heal and change and grow with, 
then all of a sudden you start to understand and look at those people and say, what are you here to teach me? If you showed up in this way and you betrayed me or you stole from me or you spoke in a certain way to me, what were you here to teach me about me? And what were you here to teach me that I'm capable of doing beyond this? Because if we didn't have those people and experiences in our lives, we would settle. We wouldn't grow. We wouldn't go further on the journey and become. And that's part of what people are missing is so many times the steps they've taken in their life are because of the villain that showed up in their life. The steps that they've taken that are empowering. Now, there are some people that succumb to that that person or experience and they don't ever get out of it but that's what i'm here to say and that's what the 1111 is here to say don't get caught up in the negativity of the situation it's not what happened to you it's how you approach what happened to you exactly and and i think that you know all the great wisdom teachings teach exactly what you speak to which is what we think is happening is not necessarily what's happening. It's our interpretation of sort of the drama. But if we can look at the deeper sort of layer of inwardness that created this outward pattern, meaning as within, so with, so without, as above, so below, these are really basic hermetic teachings that show up in every wisdom society worldwide. And I think that's the beautiful part about what you speak to is that these are the lessons that have been on our planet for millennium. There is nothing new. You know, there really isn't. It's it's all material that can be stated over again in many different languages in mm-hmm. many different ways because that's really where the truth is. And if we do look at the various religious traditions, the one thing that I know just in the study that I've done is there is a string of pearls going through each one that is the truth. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, take it or leave it. But yeah. there are certain truths that are in every single religious spectrum. And when we find those truths, and that's what we allow ourselves to live by, all of a sudden, a lot of this illusion and a lot of the dysfunction starts to fall away. Have you found in your work, I've done some work with um, Dr. Gay Bradshaw and others who have written on post-traumatic stress disorder. In, In her case, she wrote about it, and it's being used clinically and legally for cases of traumatic stress in animals, both indigenous wildlife and captive animals. And my experience is that everybody is suffering from some form of trauma. I mean, every human being is experiencing some form of collective post-traumatic stress. Do you you find that to be true? I think that we are all carrying something, and it would be be things that happened in our life. It Mm -hmm. will be things that are generational, karmic, exactly. energetically affecting us mm-hmm. from other people. There are and, many, and don't many pass that point. walking around. Don't, don't pass that point because I think that's really important and there's really some beautiful new work about the kind of inherited genealogy in our DNA, but that there's also an emotional DNA. For instance, as a Jewish woman, my family goes back to Russia and Poland, and in each generation, there was some sort of horrible campaign to eliminate the Jews. (laughs) So I always say I have running in my bones, because first it was the Cossacks, then there were others. I'm just going back to the 1900s, and then there was Hitler. I mean, these are realities that stay with, as you point out, from generation to generation. Some people 
have fears that they can't locate as making any sense clinically to their present lifetime. But if they look back at their great grandparents, it will make more sense. That's what I was trying to get to. I'm sorry it took me so long. I agree. And you know what I think is so incredible? And I've come across so many people in my interviews and travels and writing. Uh, that this just seems more and more true, and that is we are in a period of time where the people that are born and living right now, we are here to clear all of that. Mm -hmm. So much of the reason that many of us have the difficult roads that we're traveling is because we are clearing generationally eons worth of pain and suffering and turmoil, and each one of us has it in our history. Amen to that. And it's time to allow that to go, and Number one, we were the chosen one to come and do that. We chose ourselves to do that, and also our lineage chose us to come and clear that. And as we do it, if we do the inner work, if we do the processes, if we allow ourselves to understand that things are energetically moving through us, we not just clear everything from the past, but we actually clean and clear the roadway for future generations so that as we move into this golden age, this age of unity, these children that are birthing right now that are so whole and so knowing of their power, they can go unencumbered down that path because Mm -hmm. we've done the work to clear the space. Well, that's just lovely. I mean, I, I, I agree very much. I just spent 10 years really focused on the journey of self-mastery as told through the lens of Kabbalah and the Hasidic tradition. And at the end of it, I found, I think, what every journeyer and seeker finds, which is that self-mastery brings inner peace. And when you can find that, then you really are available to serve. And I think that's what you've described so beautifully, Simi. Oh, thank you. You know, 2012 is one of those conversations that so many people have had, and I think it's unfortunate that some of the movies out there show it as such a destructive time, because it really is completely the opposite. It is not the end of our planet or civilization. It really is the end, the opportunity for an end of the negativity and the ways of doing things that are really causing us to go backwards rather Mm -hmm. than forwards. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to take a little break. We'll come back and talk about that because leaving the barbarism of ourself behind really does bring us into the loving beings that we are. We sort of get in our own way of being them. I'm Cassandra Beaton, President and CEO of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, sixth person to walk on the moon, at www.noetic.org. You're listening to 21st Century Radio with Zohara Hieronymus. I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, and this is 21st Century Radio. Let's return now to our interview. How long have you been producing the 1111 magazine? The first issue was January, February of 2008. Oh, wow. You've really been at it. And, and how has this work changed you? It's one of my favorite questions to ask my guests from all over the world. Well, I began this, um, and, I, and I truly believe that everything that we are to do, we are here to do first and foremost for ourselves. And I was in a very dark place at the time, and when this downloaded into my head, I heard the words, do this now, you will heal and others will heal. And I can honestly say that in going through creating each and every issue, Every theme was exactly the step in life as to where I was in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so the articles that came through or the writings that even came through me, they were exactly the words that I needed to hear and also exactly the words that were needed to touch other people that they needed to hear. So it's been a wonderful journey of 
healing and evolution for myself, but then also a gift in that I can share it with so many others. Yeah, it's pretty much the experience I think both my husband and I would both collaboratively and individually say about being in the media all these years, um, both for myself full-time for 10 years every day of the week, on the station that we're airing on now where I had the opportunity to interview the most amazing men and women from around the world who were either involved in body politic or some form of the new paradigm of consciousness. And I had the most splendid education that any human being could ever ask for. I mean, over 8,000 books that I read, and I never got a degree, though I am, thank God, I do have an honorary degree from Saybrook University for the work that I've done. And I think you're probably in the same in the same situation where we get to learn so much from so many amazing co-travelers. And when you get into this realm of study, you just can't stop. It's like you want to eat the books. They just, there's so much to drink in Mm -hmm. and grow from that it, it really enlivens you and enlightens you. It just starts to allow you to shed so much that we carry as human beings that we believe we have to carry. And that's just not the case. You know, I know sometimes people think that when they listen to a conversation like this, they go, oh, yeah, right. Sure, they have sadness and they have difficulties. And yes, true. And and we have emotions. But I think the the challenge over time when you work at this inner work is is to ride the emotions like they're waves because everything passes. And so I suspect from your own work and the work that I do, it's about understanding what the emotion is for. Most definitely, and it's being present to it. I can Mm -hmm. definitely tell you that there are often times where sadness will come into my life or, you know, there's a feeling of anger or upset that may erupt. And rather than reacting to that, now I've gotten to the point where I just recognize it. I'm there to witness it. So if something sad happens in front of me and it's making me feel sad, rather than blocking it, I recognize it and I call it out and I say, oh, this is sadness. Please let me feel you. Let me feel what this really feels like. And when you do that, you actually see the beauty of the emotion. It does totally wash over you. You understand what it feels like to wear it. And then all of a sudden it washes out of you. And we are here to experience the full expanse of emotions, not call them good or bad, nor fear. We're not here to call fear good or bad. We are simply here to allow it to be seen as a little child that we're going to look at and hold the hand and say, I understand you're afraid. Come with me. I can help you. Let me walk with you. Let me show you. You can be afraid until you have the courage, but let me walk you down the path so that you can understand you don't have to be afraid. We're speaking to the little pieces of ourselves. When you do work, I I notice you have one area called the relationship diet. Can you describe that to us? Yes. The relationship diet has a lot to do with really being honest with oneself and looking at the relationship, the most intimate relationships in your life, and understanding exactly why you attracted that particular person and what they're there to teach you and how they are showing you exactly who you are and how you project onto them, what you project onto them in terms of your fears or your angst or your uh, opinions, and then being able to allow yourself to go through a process where you start to pull back 
what you have thrown on them and take it back and call it your own and also allow them to move forward on their path, whatever that is, and honor that. And what ends up happening is the individual shifts their own life, and in that process, they shift the one around them as well. And, of, and of course, that's what every tradition will teach you. You can't change other people. You can change yourself. And, of course, the work to, to change yourself is really the great work. I mean, it's not to say that we aren't here to serve the world, and of course we are, and we're here to do good in the community, and we're here to help those in need, obviously. But at the same time, we're also here to be present to, um, I guess, our own incarnation in a way that says that I can take charge of this body in a respectful way and make the best use of it while I have it. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is this, whether you want to face your life or face yourself or not, it's going to show up around you. If you're starting a project or a business or if you're going into a place of work for your job or marrying into a family, you're going to meet yourself. It's going to show up in you. If you start any sort of business or endeavor, it is imprinted with your DNA. It will have the exact same dysfunction that you have just to show it to you. And so it is to our benefit to take a step back and continue to look at ourselves and do that inner work. One of the practices that I do, and, and many people do worldwide, is at the end of the night before I go to sleep, I try to stay conscious enough to do a review of the day. And the more you do that, the the easier it is really to sort of get a, sometimes for me, because I don't keep a written journal like I used to, um, so it's more of a feeling memory than a literary memory. And uh, it's a very interesting journey. And I think the longer you practice it, when we pass on out of the body, it seems to be the exact same kind of process of knowing what it is we've done and what meaning was gained from it. And, and I think exactly what you've said. I mean, the other day I was driving somewhere and some guy got just annoyed at me on the road for some reason and gave me the finger. And I was thinking to myself, did I really need that? I guess I did, but I don't know. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, the best thing I could do was not get angry. And so it was, it's like, I think like you, I use them as these little contests for myself of, okay, how did I respond? And, and that was a great journey. I didn't get angry. I did think for a minute, like, what a jerk. And even that upset me that I called the man a jerk inside. But I think is that what that's kind of what you teach is the self-observation. I have one teacher who used to say you have to be a spy on yourself and a mystery to yourself. And I just, to just love the way that, that sort of expressed what you're saying. Most definitely, I think we have to look at ourselves in the moment, and then I think we have to go back and re-witness ourselves mm -hmm. as well, because so often when we're going through something, we are trying to survive it or get past it or, or get through it, but we don't really see the real lessons and the gifts unless we're willing to truly look back and look at it again. And, then, and life gives yeah. us those opportunities. We were talking about 2012, and a lot of people don't realize that 12-21-2012, that date that everyone is talking about, if you add up the numbers numerologically, it adds up to an 11. And that gate opening that is on the Mayan calendar on 12-21-2012 happens to occur at 11-11. Well, when you have that, that's the second 11 11 11 that shows up and that equates to a 33 33 is the symbol of the master and what all of this means you don't have to know what these numbers are you don't even have to see them but what all of this means is that you are a master mm 
step into your mastery. Allow yourself to recognize and find it because each one of us are a master walking on the planet. Amen. So for those of us that now don't see 1111 but see 222 or two that kind of thing, so it's the same sort of octave relationship? Well, what I have discovered, at least for myself and in working with other people, it seems to be true for them, is when we begin our spiritual journey and we are open to discovering who we are, we start to see the 11s. As we say yes to the things that show up in front of us or the yearnings of our own heart and spirit, then we start to see the 22s and the 33s. The more we say yes, we start to increase the number that we see. And it's almost like a language just to say, yes, continue forward. Yes, more ascended masters are with you. It's just a dialogue that kind of lets you know you're on track and how far you're moving. That's lovely. Well, I want to thank you for the work that you do and and the way in which you bring so many people to their own inner sanctuary, because ultimately that's what we're talking about is the divine presence, and the divine presence is within all of us. So awakening to that presence is really a global awakening. And so for any one of us that gets there, it helps the whole world. And that's why I like, Simi, so much um, the work that you do, because it acknowledges that, that we are one. Whether we feel like we are or not, we really are. Well, we're each here to be our own teacher, but we are allowed to use others that are walking their path to be guides to support us. I want to thank you again for being with us. And you can follow up more. You can subscribe to Simi's various activities. Go to www.1111mag.com. That's www.1111mag.com. And to everybody in the listening audience, thank you for being with us. And I think all of these wonderful guests that we have on 21st Century Radio give each of us an opportunity to simply expand our thinking, open our hearts, and hopefully enrich our lives.